Hey, good morning. Welcome to River Church. Glad that you're here. And also welcome to folks who are watching online or listening online. There's been more and more folks doing that. Uh, we somehow, I don't know how they figured this out, but there's been somebody watching from Al-Khatif, Saudi Arabia. So if you're watching and you speak Arabic, salam. Glad you're here. Hey, uh, so we are in week three of a sermon series, and if you haven't been here the first two weeks, or maybe you haven't been here for any of them, just want to catch up real quick. We're doing this series titled Living Life As, and it's a bit of an unusual series because uh, each week we're talking to a specific group of people, and so really over the course of four weeks, only two of the messages are actually geared directly towards you, although I think there's something to learn in every message for every person. And so we start out by the first week of living life as a man. And what does it mean to be the man that God created us to be? And then last week was living life as a woman. What does it mean to live life as the woman that God created you as women to be? Uh, and so my wife Stacy and Betsy Schock, who was up here a minute ago, and uh, Christy Legg, who, who leads our um, Celebrate Recovery Ministry, uh, did that message, and if you missed it, I really encourage you to pick it up online. It was fantastic of women speaking to women. And then today we're talking about marriage. What does it mean to be in a marriage that honors God? And uh, what we're going to find throughout this whole series is this idea that the culture has taken what God created and what God intended and twisted and distorted that. And so each week we're taking a look at these different roles that we have in life and say, what is God's plan for these different roles that we have in life? So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thanks for this opportunity to be together, uh, to look into your word, and I pray that you would speak to all of us, Lord, whether we're married or single. Uh, I pray, God, that you would speak to us through your message, through these words this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So, you know, in our society, oftentimes marriage gets equated with a wedding. And so I'm just curious, how many of you watched the royal wedding this past week of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle? Go ahead, go ahead. I've yet to see a man. Oh, there's a man who raised his hand. Oh, he's English, that's why. Uh, oh, there's another man. <laughs> uh, so it's okay. I did not watch it, um, but I was sort of drawn to, the, to it to an extent. So there were 29 million Americans who watched the wedding last weekend. Uh, the cost of the wedding was $45 million. There were 200 people invited to the special reception, and it took 25 chefs to prepare the meal for that, and her veil, Meghan Markle's veil, was 16 feet long. Now, I know all that because I had this idea when I was preparing this week, like, oh, let me find out about the royal wedding. It's kind of on people's minds. And I went through this, like, dark, deep hole of wedding facts. I mean, you ask me anything about it, I could probably tell you. I was amazed. Here's a couple of interesting things that I found, is that Oprah Winfrey was invited to the wedding, went to the wedding, but she was not a special guest. Like, she had to ride the bus like everybody else did to and from Buckingham Palace, is that where they got married? Wherever they got married, in England. Um, this was the fact that I found most interesting. And if you raise your hand that you did this, I would lose respect for you. But um, did you know that you could bet, that you could place a bet on where they would go for their honeymoon? I just found, did anybody do that? Okay, good, you can stay. <laughs> you know, but it's interesting, as we're, as we're talking about living life as a married person this morning, so much of life in our culture revolves around the wedding. 
I mean, you can walk into Kroger and the checkout aisle, and there'll be a celebrity wedding that happens. And then you look on the other side of the, or a different magazine, or maybe the same magazine, and there'll be a divorce that happens. And so much of our culture is about the, the wedding itself and not about the marriage. And so much of the examples that we see out there are marriages gone bad. I mean, that's what ends up on the newspaper and tabloid and, and magazine headlines is the weddings, or excuse me, the marriages that have gone bad. And so what we want to do is we want to take a look and say, what does a good marriage look like? What does a marriage that honors God look like? And so as we talk about this this morning, I want to begin with this, is I love talking about this topic, but at the same time, I hate talking about this topic. And here's why I love talking about the topic of marriage, is because I know that When it comes to marriage and having a good, healthy, God-honoring marriage, it makes so much difference in your life. Your life can be falling apart and things at work are terrible and you don't have a whole lot of money and the house is falling apart and you can have all this stuff that's awful, but if you have a marriage that is life-giving, life is going pretty well. But on the flip side, if everything is great in your life, you're getting promotions, you're enjoying your work, your sports team is winning, you're, you know, all that stuff, but you don't look forward to coming home to your wife, then life is just hard. And so I know that as we talk about a marriage that honors God, that all of us can take steps forward into having this life-giving marriage that God wants all of us to have. But I also hate talking about marriage for this reason, because I know that a sermon on marriage is hard for a lot of people to hear. You know, it could be because you're in college or you're in high school or maybe you're in middle school and you're just a long way off from marriage. It's like, that just seems kind of irrelevant. Or it could be that you're single and you really want to be married. And so to hear a sermon on marriage when you're not married just is deflating for you because you want that, but it's not there in your life. And by the same token, I also recognize that in a room this size, that there are a lot of folks who are divorced. And so when you're divorced, it can be very hard to hear a marriage sermon because it brings back pain of your past. It brings back, what if we had heard this sermon 15 years ago? What if we'd done this? What if my spouse had been on the same page? And I recognize that there's an amount of difficulty with hearing a message on marriage if you're divorced or single. And so, but even in that case, I would hope that you would hang with me, that this would be something that you might recognize and store, maybe pick some things out that relate to the other relationships in your life. You know, when it comes to marriage, all of us come from different places. Every marriage in here is a little bit different, and some of marriages here are probably hard, you know, and I kind of labeled a few of them. Some of you may be in a roommate marriage, where you feel like you're more of a roommate than really married to the person with you. You just kind of go about life, and you do your own thing. Some of you may feel like you are in a co-parenting marriage. The only thing that we ever talk about is the kids. Our whole relationship is centered around the kids. Some of you may have what I have coined the term, the old Tupperware in the refrigerator marriage. You know, you go into the refrigerator, you pull out, you're like, oh, this looks nice. And then you open it up and it just smells, right? Just It's like, oh my gosh, do I clean that out or do I just throw the whole thing away? Right? And maybe that's what your marriage looks like. On the outside, everybody said, man, they have a good marriage. They, they laugh together. They go on trips together. But inside the marriage, something stinks. 
Or maybe your marriage is a pins and needles marriage where you're always walking on pins and needles. You're never quite sure if you say the wrong thing, you're hanging on by the last string. Is it going to break the whole thing down? Or maybe you're in it as the, I'm in it as long as I get what I want out of it type of marriage. Or maybe you're here this morning and you feel really good about your marriage, that it's in a good place. But I would say that even marriages that you say, we have a good marriage, have some elements of these. You know, there are times in my marriage where it feels like, man, we're just co-parenting. We're just trying to get these kids through to something better than where they're at. You know, sometimes we, I feel like, you know, it's, maybe we have a bit of a Tupperware marriage. We're on the outside, hey, Matt and Stacy, the married par- pastor couple, have, you know, but there's stuff that's sometimes hard to deal with. And so what I want us to do this morning, whether you're in a great place for your marriage or an okay place or a terrible place, I want us to look and say, what is the foundation of marriage? What is the biblical foundation of marriage? And so we're going to look and we're going to start in Genesis chapter 2. And uh, while you're finding that, just kind of an interesting side note. Uh, So when we first started to work on this sermon series months ago, we had the working title of Let's Get Biblical was the title of it. And if you're familiar with Olivia Newton-John, you can sort of, let's get biblical, biblical. Ready for this? Let me hear your Bible talk. So you're welcome for that cheap, free entertainment. Genesis chapter 2. It says this. The Lord God said... It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. So the words that we find in the book of Genesis about the origins of marriage, a man and a woman being united together, we see Jesus quoting that in the New Testament as he talks about the standards of marriage. We see Paul writing about it. We're going to look more at that in a few minutes about Paul writing about it. But what we see here is that this is what God says. This is the structure of a marriage. It's a man and a woman united together for a lifetime. Now, culture, and that's been twisted in all kinds of different ways. But when we look at what does God say in the book of Genesis, what does Jesus affirm? It's a man and a woman together for a lifetime. But here's the thing is, Just because you have a man and a woman together for a lifetime does not necessarily mean that it's a marriage that honors God. You know, two people are like, well, we're stuck together. We'll just kind of muddle through. That's not a marriage that honors God just because it's a man and a woman together for a lifetime. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5. And so if you have a Bible with you, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And within that structure of marriage, we're going to look at three marks of what is a marriage that honors God. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning of verse 21. It's a very short verse, and it's kind of an umbrella over what will follow, and it says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then what follows is some instructions to men and to women and to the couple together. But here's the first thing that I want us to see. A marriage that honors God is motivated by Christ, is motivated by Christ. In other words, we do what is right in the marriage because of what Christ has done for us. It says, out of reverence for Christ. That's our motivation. If we were to scour the whole Bible and look for instructions to husbands to how to treat their wives, 
wives how to treat their husbands, there would be you know, probably a dozen or so specific commands to husbands and wives that we would find. But then we could also scour the Bible, and we would find dozens, if not hundreds, of commands about how we're to treat one another. And all those one another verses also apply to how a husband and a wife are to treat one another. Now, in this verse that we just read, it says, uh, submit to one another. But there are dozens of other words that we could put in place. Love one another, serve one another, be kind to one another, encourage one another, forgive one another, respect one another, be patient with one another. We could get even more specific to our culture, unload the dishwasher for one another, don't nag one another, put away the laundry for one another, put the dishes all the way in the dishwasher for one another. Don't put your husband's keys in your purse and take it to work without telling them to one another. Okay, that was meant for one person in this room. And we had this issue early in our relationship and our marriage, and she had to buy me a peanut butter parfait every time that happened. And I got kind of fat. <laughs> but you see, we do what we're supposed to do in the relationship because of Christ. I speak well of my wife because of Christ, out of reverence for Christ. I meet her needs and desires out of reverence for Christ. But that's not the way that our culture views marriage. Most marriages, and I would say most Christian marriages and pretty much every non-Christian marriage, the motivation is a reciprocal motivation. That if you do what's right, then I will do what's right. That we respond, if you meet my emotional needs, then I'll meet your sexual needs. If you affirm me, then I'll affirm you. If you forgive me, then I'll affirm you. If you speak kindly to me, then I will speak kindly to me. And we end up with reciprocal instead of out of reverence for Christ. One of the things that I talk about in premarital counseling with couples as I talk about marriage, because you hear the phrase, marriage is 50-50. And I dispel that rumor or that myth when I talk with couples. I say, a good marriage is 100%, 100%. I meet your needs as best I possibly can 100% of the time, and you meet my needs as best as possibly you can 100% of the time. Because if we don't do that, if we say marriage is 50-50, we always feel like we go 50% of the way, and they only go 30% of the way. Or we went 60% of the way, and they only went 20% of the way. And so we go into marriage saying, 100%, 100% is what I'm going to give. So um, with this idea of doing things or doing marriage, treating the person out of reverence for Christ, uh, I had a situation, it's not even in my notes, I'm not even sure I'm going to tell the story correctly. But so yesterday... Uh, Stacy and I uh, we were kind of doing our different things in the morning and to mid-afternoon, and I came home, and uh, she was inside doing something, and I was outside sort of cleaning up the porch a little bit, and we just got these big old uh, planters with flowers in them, planters that put flowers in them. Uh, they're just beautiful, and there was a bucket of water out there, and I'm like, I'm giving a marriage sermon tomorrow. I'm going to be a great husband. And so I took the bucket of water, and I poured half in one thing of flowers, and I poured the other half in the other uh, um, thing of flowers, and, uh, and, then, and then put the bucket up on the porch. And I was like, I'm a good husband, right? So um, 
as you know, yesterday it rained, and then it got a little bit clearer, a little bit cooler, and so Stacy and I went on a walk, uh, and she walks outside, and she's like, where's that bucket? I'm like, I watered the flowers, and she gives me this look like, you what? With the bucket? I'm like, yeah, and she said, that was Clorox water that I was cleaning the steps with, and I'm like, oh my gosh. And, you know, she gives me this look, and then at this point, she has really two choices, right? She could give me what I deserve, which is a cold shoulder and a bit of a scolding, right? Because I didn't think really too much, but I'm like, oh, there's a bucket of water, water. But the fact is, if she wanted to water the plants, she was, you know, strong enough and healthy enough that she could have done it herself. I probably should have thought about that before I did that. And so she could have treated me with a cold shoulder and and what I deserved, but instead, she treated me with grace. She said, it's all right, I forgive you. She didn't say the words, I forgive you, but but we went on. (laughs) No, wait, she she did forgive me. I'm just saying she didn't say those words. (laughs) Um, But you know what? She, it says, submit to one another, do what is right to one another out of reverence for Christ. What did God show Stacy and all of us? Grace. And what did Stacy show me? Grace. That's what it means to have this marriage that is marked by what Christ does for us. A marriage that is marked by being motivated by Christ. All right, let's keep going. Verse 22 it says this. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself a savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You know, depending on your family history, Ladies, depending on your current marriage, depending on what you saw in your past, this passage can feel like fingers on a chalkboard when it says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And I want to let you know that these verses, if you feel that way, if you hear those verses and it's like, ugh, I don't like that, that I want you to know that these verses have been ripped out of context probably more so than any other set of verses, for the purpose of abusing women, for the purpose of degrading women, for the purpose of controlling women. And when Paul wrote these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he had none of that in mind. These verses were never, ever meant to be used as a weapon for a husband to control a wife. And if that's you... I don't know who I'm apologizing on behalf of, but I'm sorry that that's ever happened to you. If someone has used these as a weapon to manipulate you. And in the same way, the other direction, it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And men, if your wife has ever said to me, said to you, you're not loving me like Christ loved the church and used it as a weapon, that is not the intent of these verses. These verses were always meant to be taken together of what a God-honoring 
relationship, what a God-honoring marriage looks like. And it's this. A marriage that honors God is marked by sacrifice. It's marked by sacrifice. I want to talk to the men for a few minutes, and then we'll switch and talk to the women, because there are different roles that are laid out here and different ways that this sacrifice and submission looks like. So this is verse 25, and then reading on. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. You know, it's interesting. Sometimes people look very critically and say Paul was kind of anti-women, when he, wrote about, when he wrote this passage. Paul was sort of anti-women. He degraded women. But the fact is, is that Paul's critics at the time would not have come from there. They would have actually criticized him for being way too progressive. That he commanded, he told through the words, through God's inspiration, men to lift up women way more than they were in this culture around him. And he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So then the question is, what does that look like? How is it that we as men are to love our wives as Christ loved the church? The first part is this, is that we're to love our wives sacrificially. Jesus sacrificed himself for the church. Was it easy? Was it comfortable? Was it fun? No. But Jesus came from heaven to earth to sacrifice himself for the church. And so what that means for us as husbands is do you sacrifice yourself for your wife? Do you sacrifice yourself for your wife right here, right now, in this current day and week? And and what I don't mean is would you sacrifice for your wife? Because sometimes we get into this idea that when we talk about sacrifice for our wives, it's like it's this big, grand gesture of sacrifice. You know, when I do premarital counseling, I I walk through this passage with the couples that I counsel. And every now and then, I will get kind of a macho guy, and I'll say, you know, what, what does this mean? What does it mean to sacrifice yourself for your wife? And the macho guy will go, I would take a bullet for my wife. And I, and I say to the guy, in all honesty, I'm like, that's great, but what she really wants you to take is to take the trash out for her. That's the way that she wants to sacrifice you to sacrifice for her. You see, sacrificial love, men, is in the small things. It's in waking up early and making coffee for your wife. It's when you get home from a hard day at work that you help your wife with whatever she's doing around the house. It's spending less money or less time on your hobby so that you can spend time with her. It's giving her your attention instead of watching sports or playing video games or whatever it is. That's the sacrifice that we're talking about, of husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, sacrifice of yourself for them. The other characteristic that's in view here is this idea of betterment, of doing things so that your wife's quality of life and life and who she is is better because she's in a relationship with you. If you look at this passage again, look at all the descriptions of the church 
because Christ has loved the church sacrificially. It says um, that she is, has splendor without spot, without wrinkle, that she's holy and without blemish. That those are all things that exist with the church because Christ has loved her. And we want the same things to happen in our wives' lives. What is best for you in leading your wife's life or leading your lives together that her life is better, to help her succeed in what she wants to succeed in, to help her to grow spiritually, you know, to listen to her when she wants to be listened to. Those are things that will make your wife's life better. You know, and part of this is listening, and part of this has to do with guidance and counsel and direction and this give and take in a relationship. I can remember hearing, I think it was a sermon or it may have been like a marriage talk on this, uh, but the person said, and you may have heard this as well, is that when women share about problems and stuff going on in their lives, they don't want answers, they just want somebody to listen. And I'm like, hmm, that's good, I'm going to put that into practice. And so I can remember being with Stacy shortly after this, in the week after, we're sitting on the couch one uh, afternoon, early evening, and she's sharing with me about our kids, something that had gone wrong with our kids, and, and she was sharing, and I was being awesome, like I was being empathetic, I was being sympathetic, I mean, anything with etic, I was being that, right? And I was, I was asking good questions, and, and we get to the end of this, and I'm like, man, that's... That sounds like you had a really hard day, Stacy. And she looks at me, and she gives this snarky kind of comment. She's not a snarky kind of person, but she looks at me, and she goes, what do I do? And I'm like, well, I went to this seminar, and they said that you don't want advice. <laughs> but, you know, she did want my counsel. And husbands, we have a perspective that can help to move our wives forward. That's part of the sacrifice that we do is we share, we listen, and then we help to God. That is spiritual leadership in the home. Go back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, the uh, instruction to the wives. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And what that means is that means that wives are to follow the leadership of their husbands. That absolutely does not mean that you're to be a doormat. It does not mean that you are less than your husband. It does not mean that you're supposed to wait on him hand to foot. It does not mean that he's supposed to fix the cars and you're supposed to fix dinner. It doesn't mean any of that. It just means follow your husband's leadership. If your husband is treating you like Christ treated the church, if your husband is loving you like Christ loved the church, then doing that is easier. I'm not going to say it's easy, but it is easier. And the reason I know it's easier or not easy is because I am part of the church, and Christ died for me, and following Christ's leadership is not always easy. Sometimes it's hard to do. I don't want to do what God has asked me to do. But it's easier knowing that he died for me. And so, wives, I recognize that if your husband lives like this, does what Christ does, then it's easier. But I also recognize that if your husband does not love you like Christ loved the church, then following his leadership is incredibly difficult. And so what do you do 
in that case? What do you do in that situation? Let's see how good your memory is. Do you remember what our motivation is in a marriage? It's back to point one, because of Christ. Because of Christ. And so we do what is right in a marriage in terms of loving the other person, in terms of following their leadership, not because it's reciprocated, but because of Christ. That I will love you and follow, or I will sacrifice, or I I will do these things because of what Christ has done for me. You know, in a marriage, the argument shouldn't be, you need to do it my way, you need to do it my way, do it my way. The argument in a marriage really should be, let's do it your way. Let's, I want to sacrifice for you. No, I want to sacrifice for you. That's what a marriage should be about. And so what happens is that we do these things, which is the right thing for us to do, out of reverence for Christ. And when we do these things of what God wants us to do in these roles or in the, all the things that God has told us, when we do these things, then the other person will then reciprocate. That's the way it's designed to work. If you think about it in a marriage situation, if your husband doesn't forgive you, if your wife doesn't forgive you of something, right, is the way to get her to forgive you to not forgive her? Oh, I'll show her what, how lack of forgiveness feels. I'm not going to forgive her or him. It doesn't work, does it? But when we extend forgiveness, that teaches the other person to forgive. And that's how we get into this pattern of sacrifice for the betterment of one another. Let's look at one more mark that honors God. Uh, this is from Ephesians chapter 28, verse, uh, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 28. It says this. Uh, it says this. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's the same verse that we read, or the same, quoting the same what we read in the book of Ephesians. Here's what it is. A marriage that honors God is moved by oneness. It's moved by oneness. So he talks about this idea of one flesh. We want to become one more and more and more, to be becoming one flesh. And there's so many levels of this. I mean, in one sense, you know, you think one flesh, part of that is the sexual aspect of marriage, right? That a husband and wife are to have sex, and that's a one flesh. And that is a part of a marriage, absolutely. The sexual part of a marriage is absolutely an essential to a marriage. Sometimes couples will treat it like, ah, it's, it's like a, an add-on, sort of like you buy a car, like, do you want leather seats or not? Nah, let's not. Sex is not like that. It is an integral part of a marriage. And so we're working towards oneness. But there's also a spiritual oneness and a communication and an emotional relationship oneness. And I want to put a visual on, us, on the screen uh, and to see if this kind of helps us. And in this visual, what we see is we've got the husband and wife, and it's a triangle, and God is at the top. 
And the closer that we get to God, the closer we as a husband and wife get to one another. The closer we get to one another and the closer we get to God, it's all worked together. Because as you look at marriage, as I look at marriages, those marriages that are the strongest, where people are closest together, are those marriages where the individual is closest to God. Two individuals close to God are going to have a connected marriage when they're doing the things that God says to honor him in a marriage. I want to give you one more thing related to oneness, moved by oneness. And this is just very, very practical uh, counsel on marriage. And it's this. And it comes, it's an alliteration. Uh, and I've used these things, but the, I heard a talk in the alliteration kind of helps to make it memorable. But it's having a daily delay, a weekly withdrawal, and an annual abandon. And let me spend just a minute or less talking about each one of those. A daily delay is when we take a pause in our day and we connect with our husband or our wife. We take 15, 20, maybe a little bit more every day and have that daily connection where you let everything else in the world go and just stop your world and say, let's connect with one another. You know, that may be, you know, having coffee in the morning. It may be some talk at bedtime. It's not watching your favorite show on Netflix or Hulu or watching a game. That is not a daily delay. It's communication with one another. What Stacy and I do is we take our dog for a walk just about every evening and just catch up with our day. When our kids were little and we couldn't leave them at home, we would have what we called couch time. I would sit on the couch with Stacy. We'd just sit there and we'd say, kids, go do whatever you want. You know, set each other on fire. We don't care. We just, it's us, right? And we really, we kind of let them run wild for this 15 or 20 minutes when we would just catch up about our day. It was a daily delay. Here's the second, is a weekly withdrawal. And this basically is spend a couple hours, two, three, maybe more, maybe a little bit less together in a weekly time. Maybe you call it a date night. Maybe it's something else. But it's where you're doing something together that's fun, where you can have conversation, whatever it is, but have this time where it's a weekly withdrawal. And I know depending on your phase of life, that may be hard. When Stacey and I were younger in our marriage, we had four kids who were all young. That was hard to do. We didn't have a whole lot of money, and so we couldn't pay for babysitters. So we had a little co-op with this other couple. We'd drop our kids off at their house, and then they'd pay us back and drop their kids off at our house. But figure out how you can have and set your schedule, carve out a place in your schedule to have that regular date, that regular weekly withdrawal. And then the last is an annual abandon. Get away for 24 hours or 48 hours with just the two of you. No kids, no parents, no pets, no in-laws, no any of that stuff. Just get away, the two of you. And there's, you know, there's ways to do it less expensively if that's an issue in terms of staying close or maybe you get to go far away or you can take longer but have a, a time on your calendar where you say, this is our annual abandon. We're going to get away, just the two of us, together. And, you know, as I talk about and I talk through these three things, I recognize that everybody in here's marriage is a little bit different. And the starting place may be a little bit different. Some have been married for, you know, a couple of weeks. Some of you have been married for several decades. And so what this looks like will definitely differ. But I would challenge you, if you're early in your marriage, to start these things now. Because as I talk to people who are in difficult marriages or people who have gotten divorced, the, one of the most common things that I hear is, we just drifted apart. We just drifted 
apart. And eventually there was, we looked and like, there's not much of a marriage here. And these things, these staples in your marriage, a weekly withdrawal, a daily delay, an annual abandon, these will keep you connected in your marriage. So I want to give you a little homework if you are a husband or a wife, uh, and you can take this home if your husband or wife is not here. When you leave, um, you will find on, on the silver tables out there this uh, deal, which it says, an assessment for married couples. And there are five sections on here, and each of them have five questions, and you just put a score for yourself of one to five. Uh, and this is just an opportunity for you to open up a dialogue, a conversation with your husband and wife. Say, what did you put for that? And, and just to give yourself an assessment to see where you are and then where to go forward. And then on the bottom of this, on the back, are a, a couple sets of standard marriage vows. And maybe these are the ones that you said. Maybe there's something different. But I encourage you to talk about these together and just ask the question, are we still living these? Are these similar to the ones that we had? You may not even remember that. But have a conversation and say, are we still living the marriage vows that we started with? So those are your kind of two homework assignments. You can pick this up as you leave. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the marriages that are here and that you give us great instructions on how to have a marriage that honors you. I pray that each one of us who are married would go and work on our marriage, would sacrifice, would move together. And Father, I pray for those who are not here. I'm sorry, I pray for those who are not married. I pray that you would give them opportunities to have a marriage that will live these things out. Lord, don't let them settle for anything less than a marriage that is honoring you at that point in the future. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thank you for being here. Before you go, stand up, greet somebody around you, say happy Memorial Day.